The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the content providers and should not be viewed as an endorsement of any product or service. Nor does it reflect the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Hello, everybody, and welcome to In Perspective. My name is Bob Branco. This is episode 344, dated Friday, January 26th, 2024. With us, as always, Peter Alchil from Coos Bay, Oregon, enjoying rain, I think, Peter, again. You're, it's raining yeah. where you are? Yeah, it's raining, windy, duck weather. So uh, <laughs> We've had a lot uh, of that this winter so far. We have, but that's typical weather for us, so uh, it's just you just power through it. Anyway, we got duck, doing great. We have duck weather, too. Most of the week, it's been rainy and dreary and cloudy and 40 to 50 degrees. It's just unbelievable. Before we continue, let me thank those people who make it possible for In Perspective to be made available. We start out with Raymond Gay, our producer. Thank you for what you do. Our media sources, thank you for airing us. Tom and Lynn from Rosie's Place Chatline, thank you for posting our programs. Also, Jacqueline Sylvia, our web designer. She archives our shows on my website that is www.brancoevents.com just go there arrow down until you get to in perspective podcasts click on those and select the show that you want to hear they're mostly there merci I also, jackie i also want to thank trish for being our mm. host for today and brad for mainstreaming us on acb media 5 and for that reason and for other reasons we have listeners who are not on my direct mailing list, so you are going to likely need our email address if you want to write to us at Perspective. So please feel free to tell us what you think of the program in general, specifically this one, by writing to Bob Branco 93. That's B O B B R A N C O 93 at gmail.com. That's all one word Bob Branco 93 at gmail.com. Back for a second visit here on In Perspective, we will be happy to show you again Morgan White Jr. Morgan White Jr. was on a while ago talking about game shows and trivia. Many of you in the New England area are familiar with Morgan White Jr. He is a frequent visitor to WBZ Radio in Boston, and I'm had the pleasure of meeting Morgan once at a picnic at Lars Anderson Park Two years in ago. Brookline, Massachusetts. And it was a pleasure, Morgan, to meet you that day. How are you? I'm fine. Nice to see you again. Nice and thank shirt. You for, thank you for agreeing to come back on In Perspective once again. And may I say something about game shows? Please. On February 17th, I do a show, as you mentioned, on WBZ every Saturday night, 10 to midnight. I will be joined by Roger Dopkowitz, who for 30 years was the producer of The Price is Right with Bob Barker and folding into uh, Drew Carey. And he began his career working for Mark Goodson and Bill Todman. So I will have him on. And he and I will be speaking about the history of Mark Goodson and Bill Todman on February 17th, WBZ Radio at 10 p.m. I remember Goodson and Todman. 
They produced a lot of game shows. A together. lot of game shows. And a couple of Westerns. They produced uh, Johnny Yuma, The Rebel. And they produced Branded with Chuck Connors. I remember that show. Yes. So you'll be you'll be joining me. Yes, Peter. I, I want to uh, turn a corner. We might come back to game shows uh, down the road, but I want uh, Morgan. I know Morgan because he's interviewed interviewed me twice on WBZ uh, about my thing about common ground and books and elephants and all that good stuff. And yeah, I very you're much. On two months, you're on two months ago with me. That's right, and uh, we, we can have the chance to do it again. But that's a different conversation for another show. So I, I'm sort of curious, Morgan. You obviously have another life besides game shows, and I'd be sort of curious to know, you know, sort of about your uh, the other work that you do, uh, you know, uh, besides the game show stuff. Well, uh, we are doing this on the Zoom. And for those of you who can see me, I wear a necklace that says trivia. I've been wearing this necklace since 1980 when I had it made. I've been doing trivia, obviously, since then. I do trivia once a week at a club in Dedham, Mass, called Midway Restaurant. And periodically, I do trivia live in various venues people that have hired me, ironically, excuse me, ironically, I was hired by a gentleman, Elliot, back in the mid-90s to do trivia in Toronto, Canada at a convention. And he hired me again just about three or four months ago to do trivia uh, for him at a country club. So... People from time to time use me, try to uh, track me down and use me again so I can entertain for their functions. And I do trivia on every subject. Peter, give me a letter. Say any w letter. W. Bob, say any letter. U. Here we go. No, w. U. What am I going to do with you? Okay, I'm going to give you somebody who you should know. Now, this is me being mean, but you guys picked the letters. There was a cartoon called Hoppity Hooper put out by Jay Ward, the people that put out Rockin' Bullwinkle and Georgia the Jungle, etc. And there were three characters. There was Fillmore Bear, Hoppity Hooper, and a wolf-like character... A friendly wolf. And what did Hoppity call him? None of you will know this, but it's my job to use the letters that you give me. And I have done so. And you can see, I'm not looking anything up. The answer is Uncle Waldo, U-W. That quick, that fast, right in front of you. Actually... Actually, I said Q, not you, but that's okay. Oh, you said Q. Q. As I thought quickly. you said you. No, that's I all right. I you said you too, Bob, for whatever, for whatever it's worth. Yeah, it did okay. sound like you. Okay, so mm. am I doing WQ or QW? No matter. Okay. <laughs> Why'd you let me go through all that without stopping me? 
Because <laughs> I wasn't sure what the punchline was going to be yet. Now I know okay. where you're headed with. So Now you yeah. know where I'm right. headed. Okay. All right, here we go. On the old TV show, Ensign O'Toole with Dean Jones. J.C. Flippin was on that show as well. What was the name of the bosun's mate? I have absolutely no clue. Neither Waldo, do I. Waldo Queen. Okay. Now, see, again, I'm doing this off the top of my head, no looking it up, and that's my job. And I do it well. And if you pick um, Sharon, is it? Sharon. Sharon. Pick any TV show ever that you know well that you watched. Sharon, uh, can you meet yourself? I think Sharon left a meeting. Oh. Let me check. Okay. I'll volunteer, Morgan. All right, go ahead. All in the family. All in the family. Easiest all in the family question, what was their address? Seven... You're off to a good start. Seven something four Hauser Street. Um, put put a zero in the middle and you seven oh four seven oh four Hauser Street. Seven oh four Hauser Street in in Queens, New York. Very good. Those were the days. And what was the name of the end theme, which was a piano instrumental? Oh, you mean the one that went do 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 do. Yeah. Do do do. I never knew the name of it. I never knew the name of it. Say it again. I never knew the name of that. Remembering you. Okay. All in the family. And I've learned over the years, if I'm in a room full of people, say there are 40, 50 people, there'll be some that are towards the higher age bracket. There'll be some that are in the lower age bracket, and of course, people in the middle. I've got to know about um, Two and a Half Men, or Mom, mm. or current TV shows, as well as I have to know about All in the Family, or The Lone Ranger, or Star Trek. That's my job, and I'm, I'm proud that I do it well. Two and a half men and mom have been featured on TV land for most of the past six or seven years. And or at least both, two and a half men has. And it's funny because there are legendary producers like Norman Lear for All in the Family. Chuck Lorre is the producer of Two and a Half Men, Mom, um, Big Bang Theory, Will and Grace, and others. So Chuck Lorre has become... Um, but Norman Lear of the 21st century. So talk about Norman Lear. Uh, you know, uh, a recently shot. passed. He, he, uh, he, he passed, obviously. What, what, what does his legacy look like to you? They'll be showing all of these programs on the family, Maud, the Jeffersons, 100 years from now. His Jefferson, uh, his excuse me, his legacy is cemented. We will be enjoying these shows in in the year 
24-25. That's just the way TV works. We'll be enjoying Lucy. We'll be enjoying Star Trek. We'll be enjoying um, Pick Your TV Show. If it ran for a good four, five, six seasons or more, it is forever going to be in our TV screens, in our living rooms, on our computers, on our wristwatches. I have a trivia question. How about the, how about the honeymooners? How, how will they fit in? Hang on, Paul. We're going to get to our participants shortly. Okay. Do uh, I answer, the, do we'll I answer get to, that I, question? I, we, we can talk about the honeymooners, but before we do that, uh, Morgan, on, on the subject of all in the family, the Jeffersons and Maude and Norman Lear, yeah. I got a trivia question for you. Can you name the spinoff of Maud? The spinoff of Maud was the Jeffersons. No, nope. excuse me. Excuse me. Uh, the spinoff of Maud was Good Times because Correct. Florida. Because of Florida, the maid. Who was That's the right. maid. Uh, no. They spun her off onto her own show. And um, that show, uh, Good Times, they lived in a Chicago tenement, a Chicago project, so to speak. So James, the daughter Thelma, the two sons, JJ and Michael, all lived in a Chicago project. Did Norman Lear produce that program also? Yes, he did. Okay. And John Amos, who played the father, constantly was disagreeing with Norman Lear and the writers because uh, he felt the character of J.J. was just the wrong image for Black America in the early 70s. Hmm. True now, story. Now, Paul mentioned the Honeymooners. I think he had a question about... Uh, Paul, I'll let you ask the question because I don't remember the entire question and Morgan might have the answer to what you want to know. I, well, I, I was just wondering his opinion, how they... Fit, fit in we like long term and and with with uh, some of the classics whether they're going to be lasting as well yes i don't understand why because that show ran for one season 39 wow. episodes but it was on jackie gleason's variety show uh saturday nights they would do skits of the honeymooners there were 39 and, episodes, but weren't there uh, an additional episodes as well? Because I remember, because I have the CD set, the DVD yes. set of 39. Yes. But I remember when there was a marathon of the Honeymooners on yes. TV land back in the early 2000s. There were a lot of episodes that were not on the DVD collection. They were from the Jackie Gleason Variety Show, which was on Saturday nights. And they did skits. They didn't run a full half hour. They ran only maybe 12, 15 minutes of the Honeymooners because you still had Jackie Gleason, Art Carney, and Audrey Meadows. Um, they had Joyce Randolph, who replaced Pert Kelton, who was Trixie and Norton's wife. And she recently passed away, too. Yes, she did. The last surviving honeymooner, 99 years of age. Yep, that is true. 
Let me go back to Norman Lear because I I, I found I, I I'm just curious what you, you talked about uh, rightfully that his shows are you know will will live forever. And what made him so iconic? What made him so unique? First of all, he tried to make his shows much more real in the concept. Now, Sammy Davis Jr. isn't showing up at everybody's house uh, due to comedic circumstances, but the majority of the shows of All in the Family were much more real Americana versus the sitcoms of that era, uh, Dick Van Dyke, Leave it to Beaver, Ozzie and Harriet. Those shows didn't deal with anything controversial. They avoided controversy like the plague. All in the Family and Maude and the Jeffersons and Good Times went headlong into controversial subjects. I wonder how that, that would go over today with today's woke culture. Uh, for an example, we were just talking about Chuck Lorre. His sitcoms do that in their own way. They deal with subject matter that's 21st century subject matter. And they do them in a comedic way. You've got a brother who's mooching off another brother who lives in a wonderful home on Malibu Beach and the brother who's the mooch doesn't have any money. He's a chiropractor, but he doesn't make a lot of money like his, um, as in Charlie Sheen, who plays the brother that writes themes to commercials for a living. Yep. And Charlie Harper. Charlie Harper. And Alan Harper, played by John Cryer, is the sad sack of a brother whose wife kicked him out of his own house. Uh, his son, at that time, 10, 11-year-old Jake Harper, is just not the best bulb when it comes to being a student in third, fourth, fifth grade. And the key with those shows when you add a child in those shows, if the show's popular, the kid keeps getting older. So the jokes about him being 10, 11 years old and not bright in school kind of weakened when he's now 17, 18 and not bright in school. What are you going to do? They outlived, they outlived their successfulness. And that was, I think, one of the reasons why Charlie Sheen rebelled from doing a ninth season. But they wrote him out in a kind of creative way. They brought in Ashton Kutcher as a billionaire, Walden Schmidt. And they milked another four years out of that show. Two and a half men ran for 12 years, 12 seasons. Go figure. Getting back to Norman Lear and Bob's kind of about woke culture, I think you could make the case that Norman Lear uh, uh, laid the groundwork for some of this woke culture stuff. I mean, he, as you said, uh, he had a political point of view uh, that was uh, uh, a little different from your average uh, person from Queens at the time. Um, and 
Um, uh, I, I think he, he, he made it possible for people to talk about uh, controversial topics in ways that weren't, didn't yes. happen. Yes, he did. As in uh, the war in Vietnam. Yep. Abortions. I'm trying to think of all of the. Well, the whole race relations about, stuff. The yeah, I, I, I mean, I, you know, I was about I, to go there too. Yeah, I mean, Norman yeah. Norman Lear was a liberal in his philosophy, as just another person walking the street, but he understood you needed to have conflict to have an interesting show. He did, and he made sure. You know, Gloria, his Archie's daughter, married a raging liberal, as in Mike Stivick, played mm. by Rob Reiner. And he and Archie were oil and water, and that made that show work, their conflicts. Because if Archie was on one side of an argument, Mike was on the other side, and that's where the conflict arose. Because I remember uh, back when all the family was was you know was hot, uh, Bob Grant for uh, talk radio was just getting started um, in New York City, and Bob invariably uh, you know would would talk about all the family, and of course would take Archie's side on most issues, and I I, I often wondered uh, you know to to the extent to which. Bob would have been su as successful as he was to start. He, he was he was he was brought in his own way, uh, without all the family to use as a foil. Well, you know? I am sure a lot of upfront by upfront, I mean, people that had a radio microphone in front of them or a TV camera in front of them. A lot of these people were able to use on the family as a launching point for their perspectives whether they agreed or disagreed with what that show was doing. A lot of people did. And again, conflicts arose from that show and spilled over into our everyday life. I, I one more thing about Norman and I'll and I'll and I'll drop it, but I, I read a, a tribute of him by a conservative columnist. And one of the things that the conservative columnists said was, even though that the two of them disagreed on almost everything, that Norman had a gift of sort of understanding the other side, the other person's point of view, and you know, even empathizing with it sometimes. Yes, which, he did. You know, from his, you know, which for from the, you know, which was unusual. It's, it's certainly more unusual now than it that might have been then. He, he made conservative Archie lovable, mm -hmm. and that's the key. Archie was embraceable by the American public, whether you agreed with him or disagreed with him. You appreciated his existence as that character every Tuesday night or whatever night you watched it. Saturday night ran on network. It was originally a Tuesday night show. So I want to go back to something. I think Bob, you were moving to. Uh, um, which is the question, could such a show exist now? And you were sort of talking about uh, a show that I've never heard of before because I don't follow TV very much. But, you know, are there equivalent shows now? I mean, I, and I guess what I'm thinking is that, you know, network TV was so much more ubiquitous back then 
more, you know, more people watched it. And now we're sort of segmented in, you know, to various media uh, uh, communities, as it were. And I just you wonder had, if, you know, on the family could would work now as well. You have three networks. Right. ABC, NBC, CBS, and a fourth network with PBS for the educational shows. Then, 1968, when All in the Family debuted. Now, 2024. I thought it was 71. I'm sorry, say it again? 71, they, it debuted, All in the Family. I thought. I think 70. it was in the six I think it was in the sixties, sixty-eight, sixty-nine. Well okay, let's agree to disagree, because that doesn't affect my point. My point is now in twenty twenty-four, you've got dozens of TV networks, dozens of them. And those TV networks are as diversified as you can make it. You've got a niche. Let's say you like Westerns. There are several channels that do nothing but show Westerns. Let's say you're a fan of private eye shows. You've got several channels that show nothing but private eye shows. Let's say you love cartoons. You've got several channels that show nothing but cartoons. And things are now so spread out, diversified, and individualistic that the people that own and run these cable outlets want to know what show would appeal to Bob Branco. And they will see if they can find a show that will appeal to you, Bob. What show would appeal to Morgan White Jr.? They will see if they can find a show that would appeal to Morgan White Jr. That's what they are doing now. In those days, in the late 60s into the early 70s, All in the Family was starting to branch away from the traditional quote-unquote, sitcom. Lucy's working in a candy factory, and they speed up the conveyor, and she and Ethel have to try and match the speed of the conveyor shooting candy down the line. Oh, boy, that's fun. Let's laugh and enjoy ourselves. That show necessarily wouldn't hold everyone's attention today in 2024. Or let me say this, plots like that, that style of writing would not work in these days. But I guess my question is, what style of writing would, would, would is working to sort of cut across these various niches? You know, uh, I, you know I remember when I was growing up, you know, uh, folks kept saying to me, I, did, I never particularly enjoyed television as a blind guy. And people would say, well, you need to have some sense of, of what's being what's going on so you can talk to your friends about it, which I understood at the time. I rebelled right. against, but it, but it made it made a lot of sense. Um today it's it's it seems it's a different world. I mean, there's no, you know, I, I have um uh, uh I now have 11 year old grand twins, 
and and they, their sort of interests and what they watch, not on TV, obviously, they watch stuff online, is even different from their, their closest friend who watched something very different, even, even though they're, they're in the same class uh, and, you know, in the same school, in the same community. And um, it, 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 it's a different space. I guess my question is, what kind of writing crosses the, the, those various spaces? You've got to come up with strong, interesting three or four characters that will be the leads in your show and then come up with supporting characters that will help move a plot along. Let's pick a show. Um, the Big Bang Theory. That show ran for 12 years. You had the core of the four guys, four nerdy guys, and one who was like a super nerd, Sheldon, his roommate, Leonard, Raj, and Howard. As that show went along, you had four guys. The writers slowly but surely decided to add girlfriends for each of them. And by the end of the show, 12 years later, each of them had a significant woman in their life. You've got to understand when you're writing for these shows, how to add, it's like making a cake, how to add the right amount of flour, the right amount of sugar, the right amount of of frosting, etc., to make a perfect cake. To be on TV, primetime network TV for 12 years is a major success story. A lot of shows get to last two, three years. Some shows extend upon that four, five, six years. They want to get four, five, six years so they can live in syndication. So they can be sold to smaller stations across the country. And all that money comes back to the producers and trickles down to the stars and the writers. That's what you want to do. And you, you've got to try to make a show that has a universal appeal. Like you mentioned, um, people that are blind, they can't see sight gags. They might respond by hearing an audience laugh and understand something was visually funny but they can't see it. So you've got to depend on your actors, how they deliver these lines. You've got to depend on the script. The entire 24 minutes, 22, 23, 24 minutes is the length of a TV sitcom. And all these idiosyncrasies that make a show successful or not. And that's the important thing. And I hope I answered your question. I tried to. No, I think you gave a really good answer. Yeah, I'm, I'm just sort of think, thinking. You know, we're we're so um, uh, segmented that it's hard. To, it's hard to build that universal show. You know, I'm thinking about 
the books that are out that that do this. And the you know the example that comes to mind always is the Harry Potter series, which right. has this you know which has this universal story. Um, but I I think it's just harder to do now than it was back then because we all were watching the same basic media sources as you said. Um, so it's it's just a different world. Well, Harry Potter was so super successful with the elementary age kids, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth grade. Elementary age, junior high, those books were supremely of interest to that core group. Before the first movie was made, that's what made them make movie number one and six subsequent movies. And when you go to the theme parks, Disney theme parks, they have a Harry Potter exhibit. And it became a license to print money when you talk about Harry Potter. But the kids' love of those stories, um, you created a believable fantasy world. And that's the key. It was believable. If you had an open mind and you were in the sixth grade, um, let me back up. I don't do as many anymore, but I, I used to do easily 10 bar mitzvahs a year. You're talking 13-year-olds, basically eighth grade, younger brothers and sisters, fifth, sixth, seventh grade. And one of the more popular subjects that I would get bombarded with, oh, Harry Potter, do Harry Potter. We want questions about Harry Potter. I had to read Harry Potter. I had to get familiar with Harry Potter. And I even came up with my own Harry Potter questions that were unique, that you had to know the books, you had to know the characters and interactions to be able to answer the questions. Are any of you guys Harry Potter fans? Yes. Not really. All right. Uh, who who said Peter. yes? Peter. Uh, Peter. Peter, I got a Harry Potter question for you. In the I'll world, try to answer it. All right. In the world of muggles, this is an original question. I wrote this question. In the world of muggles, this word is a verb. In the world of wizards, this word is a noun. Same word. In the world of wizards, it is a noun. A noun is a person, place, or thing. In the world of muggles, this word is a verb, an action word. Take your time and think about that. Let's okay. let's uh, let's continue the show, and I, I might okay. I, that um, and if we if we think about, it, we'll answer at the end of the show. Um, mm -hmm. that, that's In fact, we can question. we can open it up to participants now. Would be a great time to do that. Before we do, okay. I want to send out a I want to send out a hello to Lillian Johnson. She listens to our show faithfully, and she always sends us good positive comments. Lillian, thank you for listening. Hello, Lillian. Okay, so so we are. On In Perspective, I'm Bob Branco. He's Peter Alchil. Our guest is Morgan White, Jr. And 
Let's open up the program to our listeners. Trish, do we have any hands raised at this particular time? Uh, let's see. All right, we have Beth. Go ahead, Beth. All right, Beth. Hello, Welcome. Beth. Um, okay, the show I was going to ask about, it doesn't, um, it's not a sitcom, but I like I like that show, The Good Doctor, because oh, oh, with the I was surprised. Doctor. I thought I was the only one that really liked that show, but I'm surprised that uh, it has appealed to a wide range of people. My wife and I watch it. And what oh, do you yeah, it's a very the, good show. What do you want to know about the show or just to have a conversation um, about the show? Right. Do you think that it'll, do you think we'll be watching that in a hundred years? <laughs> <laughs> I will say yes. You want to know why? That's niche why? programming. Narrowcasted, narrowcasted programming. And there is such availability of those types of shows now. You need to have a place to show those type of shows cable you need to have people like you who enjoy the show and if there are enough people like you who enjoy the show they'll keep making more of them and if they make let me, let me pick a, a weird number eight seasons worth of shows that show will live forever well i enjoy I it because Right, let, three let me, of my let, grandchildren are, um, well, I was just going to say three of my grandchildren have Asperger's, and uh, it's always nice to see what Sean gets himself into. <laughs> okay, and let, let me say this. I Love Lucy in its heyday ran for eight seasons. Yeah. It had a spin, its own spinoff, the Lucy Dizzy Comedy Hour, which ran for one season. And a couple of years after it went off the air, Lucy came back with The Lucy Show. And then after five seasons, went off the air and came back with Here's Lucy. So she was in front of our eyes on TV for like 24 years straight. But the original I Love Lucy, eight years. Mm -hmm. And... Mm -hmm. um, your show, The Good Doctor, is still fresh. It's still generating episodes. So if it, yeah. if it gets to seven or eight seasons worth, it'll be around forever. For, forever and ever. I know oh, a I... show. I know a show that's in syndication right now on a network. I think it's called uh, well, I forgot the name of the network at the moment. I'm drawing a blank. And that's the show Emergency with Randolph Mantooth and others. Oh, that that, that was a Jack Webb show. But that was a five-year run, and it's in syndication it, still. It, it's still on in syndication. You want to get to the magic number of 100 episodes. Okay, if you, I see. If you get to 100 episodes, your life in syndication is made for you. The road is paved with your episodes 
rerunning and rerunning and rerunning. Gilligan's on Island. FETV. FETV. That's the network yeah, emergency FETV. currently on. Uh, emergencies on FETV, which stands for Family Entertainment TV. It's also on MeTV, Memorable Entertainment TV. Emergency is also on their station. And usually, mm. it's a troika of Dragnet, Adam-12, and Emergency. All three of those were Jack Webb shows. All three of those were shows that had um, a five-year run for Emergency, I think an eight-year run for Adam-12, and good grief, the run of Dragnet on TV was 12 seasons. Don't forget, it originally started on radio before it even got to TV. So all of those shows, uh, flip the calendar pages to 100 years from now, you'll be seeing Rita Malloy drive around in Adam-12. I promise you. Thank you, Beth. Thank you very much, Beth. Beth, thank you for your call. All right. Tricia, anyone else? Yes, sir. Ann Chaipetta, go ahead. Hello, Morgan. Hey, Bob. Hello, Ann. Hey, Peter. So I, w I would like to hear you speak about The Simpsons. Um, uh -huh. <laughs> uh, specifically, uh, give me your, give me like your, uh, your triple play, uh, how long it's been on, um, yes. what, uh, you know, just, like why it's got such longevity and what you, you know, what, how you see it um, affecting, you know, itself in the future of syndication, stuff like that. All right, here we go. The Simpsons is the longest running sitcom ever. It's classified as a sitcom, even though it's right. animated. It's been over 33 years. Wow. It was a spinoff from the Tracy Ullman show back in the late 80s. And the fact that The Simpsons has been around for 30-odd seasons, obviously, we're never going <laughs> to run out of episodes. It keeps, how can I say this, refreshing itself. It's like being <laughs> on a computer and hitting the refresh button. Right. It right. keeps refreshing itself. So kids that are now watching it and enjoying it are in the fifth and sixth grade, weren't even born, weren't even thought of when they first started showing well, Simpsons Their episodes. parents might have been in the fifth or sixth grade then. Yeah. Precisely. <laughs> Precisely. Right. And when you have an animated show, for an example... The Flintstones, 1960. Mm -hmm. The Flintstones, Alan Reed was the actor that did Fred's voice. Henry Corden, who also did Fred's voice, they used him in the commercials for Fruity Pebbles. When Alan Reed died, they just slipped Henry Corden in to do more Flintstones episodes because they rebranded the Flintstones, Fred and Barney Meet the Shmoo, which was a series. Oh, um, yeah. The new, the new Flintstones, 
Pebbles was grown up. Earlier we talked about All in the Family. They had Sally Struthers as the voice of Teenage Pebbles. So in animation, you can do that. So all the people who do the voices, Dan Castanella, if one day he passes on, if they want, I'm sure they can find other people who can do the voice of Homer Simpson. You are just, I mean, go, go to any elementary school play yard. I guarantee you there's a kid there who can do the voice of Bart Simpson better than Bart Simpson. And right. that's a girl, by the way, that does Bart Simpson. Yeah, it's a woman. Yes, N Nancy Cartwright. Yep. That's her name, Nancy Cartwright. So I am, and, I, I am TV illiterate, and I never watched one uh, uh, um, show of The Simpsons. Uh, oh, 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 oh. Having, having said that, <laughs> what I find really interesting is that I did listen to a lot of talk radio back then. And yes. that, uh, especially on more conservative uh, talk show hosts, despised that show and did everything they could to make fun of it and to, to demean it. And um, I just found that absolutely fascinating that, you know, this was a, as you said, it, a, a cartoon it show. Not it, necessarily supported, but slapstick humor always has gotten criticized for demonstrating harm. Curly, Moe and Larry, are in a prison yard, and Moe and Larry put a rock on top of Curly's head, take a sledgehammer to it to break rocks. You know, the old perceived thing that that's what they do in prison. <laughs> and they're all actors. So Curly knew that they were going to put a prop rock on his head and break it. And Moe and Larry thought it would be funny to lift a real rock. And Curly moves it. No, no, no. That's a real one. They left that in the, in the script. When they show that episode, watch for that. When you see Homer strangling Bart out of anger, a lot of people were not happy that that is what you're seeing, a father attacking his son. They are doing it as slapstick they as in the people right. who produce the simpsons well look at the three stooges that was all and, hitting people yeah. and whacking people and that and was that acceptable was, and that was all slapstick S -L -A -P. Look at bugs bunny and bugs bunny if there's an anvil handy somebody's <laughs> going to have that anvil hit their head poor elmer poor yosemite poor <laughs> porky pig they were the foil for Bugs and Daffy, and good grief. The coyote should have, if he were a cat, he'd need 993 lives <laughs> to survive the falls, the explosions, the calamities that befell him that he was trying to put onto the Roadrunner. Why do you think slapstick endures if so many people, you know, have a just just don't 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 like it. All right. Your name is Ann, correct? Yeah. I want to make sure I get your name right, Ann. 
a lot of people think it's funny. And I'm, I'm almost going to cross a line here. A lot of people think it's funny to see a man hit in his lower extremities. Step on the rake and the rake comes up and whacks him. You laugh okay. at that. Right. I don't think it's funny. Every man listening right now has probably suffered an unwanted impact in that area. It is not funny. But you see it happen to somebody else, and your first impulse is to laugh. It's wrong. But go back to Charlie Chaplin. I'm trying to think of the earliest visuals that we had. Slapstick is has been in front of us for over 100 years on a screen, be it a small screen in our living rooms or the big screen at the movie theater. Somebody being hit in the face with a pie. Oh, <laughs> he just got hit in the face with a big green pie. When you think about it, it's not funny, but we, we respond with laughter at these things. Maybe we shouldn't, but we do. Because it can happen to somebody else, not us. Right. Exactly. But it, se it seems to me, um, I never found, uh, uh, just for me personally, I'm only speaking for myself, I never found that stuff especially funny, but my sort of weird, warped sense of humor, I I, I get that. But but um, it, it's not, it's it's a different kind of laughter, uh, I'm making any sense. It's, it's you know, it's, it's sort of a dark... No, I, I do. I understand your point when you say that a different kind of laughter. It's not um, grab your tummy, belly laugh. Um, right. It's a nervous and in a way, it's kind of yeah. nervous laughter. <laughs> right. You're laughing. Phew! Glad that didn't happen to me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. A relief. That's right. Or a, right. a relief. Yeah. Yes. Uh, uh, Annie, thank you so much. Sure. Yeah. Annie, Annie, before you go, I, I just yeah. want to make one more comment because we talked about The Simpsons. Um, and thinking about the, the conversation, and maybe I, you know, as I said, I'm, I'm TV illiterate, but um, uh, I, I was the the Simpsons were were so uh, despised by some people in the talk show um, uh, um, circuitry, as it were, because it's it was perceived as anti-family and the anti-nuclear yeah. family, mm -hmm. and it it really uh, people just grew to hate that show. I mean, it, uh, you know, I mean, every time there was a new scene, it would, it would, it would, it would amount to hours and hours of criticism and how dare they make fun of the nuclear right. family and on and on I went. And I don't think the, mm -hmm. the, the other slapstick that we talked about had that kind of impact. Maybe I'm wrong well, about that. You know, when you compare the Three Stooges slapstick to the Simpsons slapstick, yes, the Three Stooges were related, um, a cousin and brothers, or the Simpsons, the traditional, and I I know this isn't fair because obviously I get to see the Simpsons and Peter, um, you've never seen an episode for the obvious reasons. I see right now, Homer, both hands around his son's neck, almost every episode strangling innocent little Bart, who isn't innocent. Right. And that's where the complaints came. 
Homer has yelled at Lisa. I don't think he's ever put his hands on her in anger. Uh, Marge tries to hold the family together with sympathy and kindness. But the family dynamic of what a father does to his son is where most of these complaints come from. How dare a father treat his own son that way? But again, it's a TV show. It's a sitcom. It's a also of, animated. It's it's fake. Yes, it's it's a, a simulation. Of, and so 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 true. A lot of what you see is exaggeration of action. Mm. You have to exaggerate in action to sell the point, even more than just generally selling the point. Mm. And do you agree with what I just said? I do. And I also, Peter, going back to your question, I don't like the Three Stooges, but I love The Simpsons. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I used to be able to watch The Simpsons when I had vision. And I thought it was irre- irreverent to the extreme, but I loved it. I, you yeah. know, that sick sense of humor, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, no, a lot of people loved it. I mean, it, it was it was obviously and, an iconic and show. People still do. Yeah, exactly. If exactly. people didn't love it, it wouldn't be on for three decades and go yeah. strong. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Morgan. Thank I you. I appreciate you uh, uh, talking about this. Uh, and yeah. in what town or community do you call home? Uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, well, but I, I am get... a, I know I am from New York originally, born and raised. Okay. I've gotten calls from Pittsburgh. If you get a chance, I don't know what you do on Saturday evenings, but I'm on WBZ, which is 1030 on the AM dial. Our signal comes booming into Pittsburgh. I know that's a right. fact. Yeah, it does. I'll check it so out. It does. You listen to me okay. 10 to midnight. Okay. 10 to midnight. All right. I roll you up the red get on your, on your On your uh, A-Lady, we'll, we'll, we'll get it too, obviously. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. you can get BZ on yeah. your A-Lady. I get it on mine, so yeah. that shouldn't be difficult. Yeah. All right. Uh, and thank, thank you, you for Ann. participating. Thanks, Morgan. We, yeah, we have about five minutes. So, Trish, do we have any other hands raised? We do have one hand, Deanna. Okay. Janet? Hey, hi. Hi. Um, hi. I've, I watched television when I had vision when I was little. Okay. I didn't much um, for a while, but when I was raising my own kids, they they had sight, so television was on a lot. And one of the shows I really liked didn't make your cut. It only had 62 um, episodes, and it was only a four-year program. But I was trying to think about why I probably liked it and why my kids thought it was funny. And it's a, mix, um, it's a mixture of, of what you've been talking about. It was dinosaurs. Oh, yes. The Sinclair family. Yes. <laughs> and so you saw, you know, the the baby abusing his father. <laughs> and, and, and what did that the baby, slapstick. <laughs> what did the baby call his father? Not the mama. <laughs> Not the mama. Which I thought was a great name. <laughs> a, yeah. a young baby has a mother and a father, he's closer to the mother, and he knows this guy is in the house as well. He's not the mama. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so I think that that's probably one of the elements that made me laugh because I thought that in many ways my my children were much closer to me than their, than their dad. Um, 
Do, do you know why they chose the name Sinclair for the family's last name? No. It was a statement. It was well closeted. Layer after layer of tongue in cheek. You've got these dinosaurs. Um, in the era of dinosaurs. And where do we get our oil from? Oh, I see. <laughs> our oil comes from the fossilization of dinosaurs over millions of years. And there was a company that had gasoline stations on every other corner called Sinclair. Wow. That was a tongue-in-cheek tongue tip of the hat to oil companies. Amazing. Yeah. And, and Sinclair, uh, being the name of the family of dinosaurs, was their way of saying, hey, if we don't pay attention to these things, we're doomed to fail our entire society. Yeah. And that's why they called that family the Sinclair family. That's an interesting piece of trivia. I, I think one of the things that appealed to me too was there were a lot of liberal thoughts in there. Like one of my favorite episodes was Nuts to War. I grew up during the Vietnam War era. As did and, I. Yeah, and saw my friends being sent off to a war that they didn't really understand what was going on. Their parents were all gung-ho because, you know, John Wayne. Even if, if they were slightly too young to have been part of World War II, they had this romantic vision of war. And, you know, the draft was okay by them because it's sure duty to serve your country. The and parents of, of the kids in the 60s. Yeah. We have, we have about 30 seconds. Okay. They were kids' ages during World War II and maybe as well extending to World War One. They figured... America always comes out on top of a war. You best serve our country. And that was their perspective. Exactly. Thank you, Deanna. Thank you, Deanna. And, and thank Bye, you, Deanna. everybody. We're out of time. Morgan, it was a pleasure. You're always a wealth of knowledge. We'd like to have you come back at some point. Uh, and by there the are way, some other venues the, that I want the, to talk to you about off the air that you can come on as well. To all right. The answer other... to the trivia question is snitch. That's the ball, the game of Quidditch, the snitch. And when you snitch on your younger brother or sister yeah. that they broke yeah. the lamp. Oh, wow. That's my answer. Good. Very good. I had a different thank answer, you. but your answer is better than mine. Thank okay. you, everybody. Uh, Bob, thank you for Friday. having me. I'd love to come back. All right, Morgan. We'll talk about that for sure. Next okay. Friday, we're going to have Janet Lebrecht from Synergy design consultants i will send you some information about that to pass around i need to get a bio she's a disability advocate pretty much she just made it she just has a, a consulting business to do all that with thank you everyone go safe with god's abundant blessings and talk to you soon